Open your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Through the rest of this year, I want to finish out our series on Christianity 101. And for those of you who haven't been here for it, you know, it has been said that all religions are fundamentally the same. And have you ever heard somebody say that? All religions are fundamentally the same. And we say, yes, they are, except for what they teach about sin, salvation, heaven, hell, the nature of God, the nature of man, the nature of eternity. Other than that, they're all completely the same. And so based on that, we have tried to look at those subjects, those, those foundational truths of Christianity, the nature of God, the nature of man. This morning, I want us to look at eternity, and I hope that the sermon doesn't last that long, but uh, I want us to look at the concept of eternity. And for us to understand eternity, we need to understand the nature of man, the nature of God, and the reality of eternity. That's, that's what we're going to look at today. The nature of man, the nature of God, and the reality of eternity. So why don't we pray before we get started. Lord, thank you so much for Grace Baptist Church. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for all of those that are here. And Lord, we're so thankful. Father, there are those who would like to be here but can't. And so, Father, I pray that you'll help them. And Lord, to help us now as we look at your word. Lord, I pray that we'll leave here different than we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and look at verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Now, that notice that's not H-O-L-Y. That's holy. He wants it completely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Amen. Now, I want you to see something right here. Whenever we see this subject that is dealt with in 1 Thessalonians 5, what we always hear is body, soul, and spirit. How many of you heard that's the order? Most of the time when you think of it, it's body, soul, and spirit, right? Notice that that's the exact opposite of what the Bible says. And we say this over and over again. So often, our thinking is just the opposite of the scriptural thinking. So let's look at it again. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we often put our body first, don't we? We do. Man, this morning I, was, I left the house and I wasn't, didn't leave as early as I wanted to. I got to Clancy's and their line was out to the street and I didn't have time to get my eggs this morning. It was horrible. I mean, it's like the tribulation period started. It's terrible. And it's so funny. I, I don't know about you guys. I got to have breakfast. I just, you know, because it takes a lot to maintain this girth. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've got to have my breakfast. It is amazing how often in everything we do in our lives, our body is the first thing that we think about. The Bible wants us to focus on our spirit, spirit, soul, and then the body. Why? Because the spirit's eternal. The soul's eternal. Your body is going to be changed into an eternal body, but this body is going to corrupt. That is why it is so much less important than our spirit and our soul. It's so important that we get that. So the nature of man is that we are body, soul, and spirit. So let's try and figure that out a little bit. Go to the book of Genesis chapter 1.
And look at verse 26. And God said... Some of you, it's taken you a long time. It's the first book. It's the first one. You teenagers, you've got to be able to find this. All right, Genesis 1. Look at verse 26. And God said, let what? Us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now in chapter 2, we get a little bit more information about the same account. Look at verse six, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a what? A living soul. A living soul. So when God creates man, when you are born, you are born a living soul. That soul is eternal. That soul will live somewhere forever. Your spirit, unfortunately, is dead. The Bible says that when sin entered into the world, death by sin entered the world. And man died spiritually. I want you to see that God is a tripartite being. That is, God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 1 John 5, 7 says, There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. All right? One what, three who's. Not Mary Lou who, that's a different thing. One what, three who's. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so, when God said, Let us make man in our image, He made us a tripartite being. We are body, we are soul, and we are spirit. But the Bible says we are spirit, we are soul, and we are body. It's important that we see that. That's the nature of man. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. It's hard to come to Grace Baptist without a Bible, isn't it? And if you happen to be here today and you didn't bring a Bible with you, just look in the chair in front of you on the bottom. There's a Bible there for you to use. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That quickened means made alive. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So you're walking around. You know, you weren't a zombie. You, know, you, you were a, a living being. So you were, your soul was alive and your body was alive. But spiritually, you're dead. Your spirit is your capacity to interact with God. The Bible says in 1 John that His Spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. So when you're saved, you're alive spiritually, and that spirit is the way that you communicate with God. So when we say that someone is spiritually dead, that means that they're just like everybody else that's walking around. Until you're born again. When you're born again, that spirit is brought to life and you're able to commune and communicate with the God that created you. That's your spirit. Your soul is who you are. That's, your, that, that's who you are. How many of you have ever seen someone and you have formed an opinion of them by their appearance? Has that ever happened? Right? And then you talk to them and you find out, man, they're nothing like I expected. The, the funny one for me is a radio announcer. You picture what they look like. They, they never look 
like what you expect. Expect. So the gospel quartet gets up and sings, and you hear them all singing, and you can't tell who's who. And then this tiny little guy about this big is the bass voice. You ever seen that, right? The, the person, the, and obviously I'm not a bass. Remember when I introduced Jeff Faggart to you all the first time? Brother Jeff, I said, everywhere we go, people say we sound exactly the same. And he got up in the microphone and said, two peas in a pod. <laughs> got this really deep voice. We don't sound anything alike. But the, the idea is you can't tell anything about a person by how they look. Right? You know that racists do that. Yeah? It, uh, lots of people do that. You can't tell anything about a person by how they look. Now, within reason, you know, you can tell somebody's drunk by how they look. Right? You can tell somebody's, you know, on drugs or whatever by how they look. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the very, the, the nature of the person. That's their soul. And that soul lives forever. And then, of course, we know what the body is. We don't have to talk about that. So your spirit is your interaction with God. Your soul is the way you interact with people. All right? That's how you interact with people. That's your soul. And then your body, of course, is the, the mobile home that you carry it around in. And it is amazing how we decorate these mobile homes. James Knox, I heard him say that. I was listening to a message by him last night. He said, some of you have, you know, fake brick on the outside of your mobile home. Some of you have stucco. Some of you do it really nice. Others of you don't really care. Is that hilarious? I think that is so true. You look around. Some people are really concerned about their mobile home. Other people don't care. Probably somewhere in between is a good place to be, don't you think? And so that's the nature of man. We are, we are spirit and we are soul and we are body. And I know now that's in your head. Every time you say body, soul, and spirit, you go, spirit, soul, and body. And I hope that you do because I want to communicate it in the proper order as well. That's the nature of man, all right? So spiritually, we are dead until we're born again. A person is born again by placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal life. Amen. You can't get saved by your baptism. You can't get saved by your church membership. You can't get saved by paying your taxes. You can't get saved by being a good mom and dad. You can't get saved by being a good person or a good employer or employee. None of that has ever saved anyone. The only thing that can save you is the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's it. And you access that blood being applied to your account, to, your, to wash away your sin by faith. You just believe that He is God, that He was born of a virgin, that He lived a sinless life, that He was nailed to a cross for your sin and for my sin, that He was buried for three days and three nights, and then He rose from the dead victorious over death in the grave. Then 40 days later, He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and now He ever lives to make intercession for the saints. You don't have to know all of that to be saved. What you have to know is that you're a sinner, that He's God, that He paid for your sin, and that if you'll ask Him to save you, He will. Because you need to be saved. We all need to be saved. Why? Because we're all going to live somewhere forever. So that's the nature of man. Let's look at the nature of God. Go to Isaiah chapter 57. Isaiah chapter 57. Isaiah 57, and look at verse 15. <clears throat> Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus saith, I love this, the high and lofty one. Don't you love that? For, let, let's read those words together. For thus saith the high and lofty one. Now look at this. That inhabiteth eternity. 
that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. This is what he said. I dwell in the high and holy place with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You can't get saved without contrition. What is contrition? It's just humbling yourself before God. God, I'm a sinner. You're holy. I'm not. I need a Savior. If you'll do that, you can inhabit the high and lofty places with God. If you don't, it's just hell. Separation from Him forever. So the nature of man is that we are spirit, soul, and body. The nature of God is that He inhabits eternity. There are two things that the human mind cannot comprehend, and I suppose there are more, but these might be the, the most profound concepts that we can't uh, understand. Infinity, right, to infinity and beyond, right? We can't comprehend infinity, and neither can we comprehend eternity. We are, because we are spirit, soul, and body, and because our thinking is always body, soul, and spirit, our spiritual well-being comes last, our body comes first. And we know that in our culture there are people that exercise every day, but they don't pray every day. They exercise every day, but they don't read the Scriptures every day. They certainly feed themselves every day, but they don't feed themselves on the Word every day. They don't have an interaction with God because their emphasis is body, soul, and spirit when the emphasis of the Scripture is spirit, soul, and body. Are you all with me on that? And I think that all of us, how many of you say, that's me, right? Like three people. I'm going to have to start over. I think that most of us do have that emphasis wrong. Now, when we're focused on the Lord and we're walking with the Lord, we can get it right. Our natural state is the complete opposite of that. The nature of God is the inhabits eternity. And there are two concepts that we cannot comprehend, and they are infinity and eternity. The reason we can't comprehend infinity and eternity are because we are earthbound. We are placed into time. We are placed into a situation where there are limits, right? When the money's all gone from the checking account, it's gone. None of us have an infinite supply of money. None of us have an infinite supply of time. None of us have an infinite supply of energy. Everything that we consider, there's a limit to it, right? And then that concept of eternity, because we're so bound to time, we're focused on what I want right now. When I go into a store or whatever and I forget my phone, I start fidgeting because i got nothing to do, right? I would be playing solitaire on my phone or checking email or, or doing something. I, I would have something to do because I'm focused on that moment. Sometimes when you put the technology away, and you stop thinking about all of the day-to-day issues of life. And you start thinking, what about tomorrow? What about next year? What about 30 years from now? What about eternity? How many of you have ever been in a situation where you say, I don't want to live in this place forever? You ever been that way? You have a house that you didn't like, an apartment you didn't like, a mobile home, you know, whatever, that, that you said, I don't want to live here forever. Well, what about heaven and hell? Do you think people in hell are saying, I don't want to live here forever? I promise you they are. But when they look at that next year or the next hundred years or the next thousand years or the next million years, 
or the next billion years or the next trillion years. And whatever is after that, it never ends. Two concepts that we can't understand, infinite punishment and eternal punishment, infinite reward, infinite pleasure, infinite bliss, eternal reward. Do you know that's the Bible's definition? Eternal reward. Eternal. And here's the thing. There are people, all of us, we sacrifice eternal reward for immediate pleasure. We sacrifice infinite and eternal reward for immediate gratification and satisfaction. Why? Because we are body, soul, and spirit. When God wants us to be spirit, soul, and body. The nature of man, the nature of God, he inhabiteth eternity. When God told Moses, he introduced himself to Moses in the burning bush, and he told Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let his people go. And Pharaoh, and he said, who shall I say sent me? And he said, tell him the I am. The I am. Not I was. Not I shall be. I am. Why can he say I am? Because he inhabits eternity. See, he created time and put us in it. God is not bound by time. He is eternal. He inhabits eternity. His perspective is eternal. How many of you, if you could have seen the result of your actions, would have done something different somewhere in the past? Right? You know, like that never happens to God. That never happens to God. That's why we need to commune with Him. We need to be alive spiritually and have Him guide our steps because He knows what's happening in the future. We don't. Right? So the nature of God, or the nature of man, the nature of God. Well, we're here in Isaiah. Look at Isaiah chapter 46. We've looked at this passage often. Isaiah 46, and look at verse 9. Remember the former things of old. That's study history, right? That's look back. Remember the former things of old, for I was God. What's it say? I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. That's the nature of God. If you look back in history, God was there. But when we look back, God's not looking back. It's all immediate for Him. He is outside of time. It's so hard for us to comprehend this. I was reading a book about Einstein this week. And, you know, when Einstein proposed his theory of general relativity and then his theory of special relativity, and it came to that E versus MC squared, he was in Bern, Switzerland, and he, what, he looked back, and there's a famous clock tower in Bern, and he saw that clock tower. And he said this, if I were able to travel at the speed of light, those hands would stand still. And so this, these concepts of the speed of light and time travel and all of that, those concepts that came from Einstein's theories, do you know all that they do is they describe God? Because the Bible says that God is light. That's who He is. And He inhabits eternity. Time stands still for God. Guy went to heaven. This isn't true. Guy went to heaven. And he said, God, what's it like? 
up here. And he said, well, for us, a, a minute is a million years, and a million years is a minute. He said, well, what about money? He said, a penny is like a million dollars, and a million dollars is like a penny. The guy looked at God and said, hey, God, can I have a penny? God said, in a minute. <laughs> you know, these, these concepts, when they come together, it, it's so hard for us to get our heads around that God is so much greater than us. When we describe Him, we diminish Him. Because we can't comprehend eternity, we can't comprehend infinity, that infinite power and that eternal existence. Those things are beyond our human capacity to comprehend. But what God has done is He's revealed Himself in Scripture. Now, what I want us to see, so we've looked at the nature of man and the nature of God. Now let's look at the reality of eternity. Go to Job, Job chapter 14. Man, I think we'll all say amen to verse 1. Job 14, verse 1. Man that is born of a woman is of... Now, let me just stop right there. That's the only people that birth babies. Right? You know, there was on the news a while back, the first, um, the first male had a baby. It was all on the news. Because this lady said she was a guy, so that was the first man <laughs> to have a baby. <laughs> These people are so stupid. <laughs> I, I just <laughs> that's not an eloquent way to address it, but dude, <laughs> you're a woman. All right, man <laughs> that is born of a of a woman. I'm crying. I can't see the text. It's man that is born of a woman is a few days. Now, let's stop right there. You guys, it, it seems like you got a lot of days. The older you get, the faster they go and the less that remain. There's just, in the nature, think about that joke, you know, the, the, the one minute is a million years. It's actually, that's not even an accurate analogy. It's, there's no comparison. But right now, all that we can think of are days. We can think of weeks. There's only a few more days until Christmas. There's, you know, and I'm going to get whatever it is that I'm going to get. We have, we have that mentality, okay? The Bible here says, man that is born of a woman is a few days, and this is so true and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. So life, it's just a shadow. And dost thou open thine eyes upon such an one? And bringest me into judgment with thee. This verse 3, this is Job talking to God. This reminds me of David. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. Why would God recognize us? Why would he think about us? That's what Job is asking. But then Job asks another question. He says, uh, and end of verse 3, And bringest me into judgment with thee. To, to have a conversation with us? Would God do that? So many of the questions that Job asks... The New Testament answers. Do you know that God's going to bring us into judgment with Him? The Bible says that we're going to rule and reign with Him and we're going to judge angels. He's going to bring us into judgment with Him. Then look at what it says. Verse 4. And this is a rhetorical question for Job. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Well, wait a minute. I know one. Jesus Christ. He will wash us whiter than snow. Isn't that awesome? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. 
Behold, all things are become new. Forgetting those things which are behind and looking forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the prize, toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I can forget those things. Who can make a clean out of an unclean? Nobody. Hey, except Jesus. Isn't that good? You know, if you're here and you're trying to clean up your life without Jesus, you can't do it. But if you're here and you want your life cleaned up, Jesus Christ will do that for you. He will. Then look at what it says. Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. So you're going to live until God says that you're not going to live anymore. Turn from him that he may rest till he accomplish as an hireling his day. So it's kind of complicated language. But what Job is thinking is that God's done with him. He's thinking, you've got me here. Now I'm going to die. My life is over. It's amazing how often we misinterpret God's timing. If you're here and you think God's done with you, He's not. If you're still breathing, God has a purpose for you. Amen? I hope you're not thinking that. Drop down with me to verse 10. But man dieth and wasteth away. That is so true. Man, we do everything we can to preserve that body. But that body's going to waste away. The worms crawl in, the worms crawl out, the worms play pinnacle on your snout. I mean, you, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, you're made of dust, you're going back to it, right? So quit investing so much in that body. It's so interesting. Look at what it says. But man dieth and wasteth away, yea, man giveth up the ghost. Then look at what it says. And where is he? Where is he? I want you to notice something that's amazing here. Man dieth, that's his body, and wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the ghost. How about that? That's his soul. That's who you are. And where is he? That's your spirit. Where is it? Your spirit, your soul, your body. Where is it? If you died today, I often say this, all of you folks, I want you to know this. If I were doing a funeral and your body was laying in a casket right here and your family passed by, the cruelest thing you can do to that family is for them not to know where your spirit is, where your soul is. Does your family know whether you're saved or not? Do you know whether you're saved or not? Eternity, eternity, your soul, your spirit, where will it spend eternity? If you're not saved, you're already spiritually dead. And if you're not saved, when you die physically, your soul, the Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. And what is that death? The Bible says in Revelation 21, 8, but the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and sorcerers and whoremongers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Look at what it says. But man dieth and wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the ghost. And where is he? It's Ezekiel 18.20 that says, The soul that sinneth it shall die. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Where is he? Where is he? Hebrews chapter 9. Look at verse 27. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. And as it is appointed unto men... Once to die, but after this, what? 
the judgment. Okay, let's everybody get there. Hebrews 9, 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Here's the deal, folks. Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming back. He died for your sins. He only died once. And He paid for your sins. And you're going to die someday. And then you're going to stand before God in judgment. And it's either going to be you're going to receive rewards or lose rewards as a believer or you're going to be sent to the lake of fire forever at the great white throne judgment. It's appointed to man once to die. And after this, the judgment. That's the reality of eternity. Look at Jude, the book of Jude, right before the book of Revelation, the end of your Bible. Jude Look at verse 5. You know, let's just start verse uh, 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to read some longer passages of Scripture, and then I'm going to be done. But please allow the Word of God to speak to you. I want you to see how clear the Bible is on this, the reality of eternity. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God, the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Aren't you glad that when you're saved, you're preserved by Christ? Mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, there's only one way to be saved, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what you've got to see. The Bible is very clear on the nature of man, the nature of God, and the nature of eternity, the reality of eternity. It's very clear on it. And yet there are preachers and churches all over the world right now, right at this very minute, denying who Jesus Christ is, denying the reality of sin, denying the reality of eternal punishment, denying the, denying the reality of eternal reward. They're denying it all. And God said this was going to happen. That's what's going on right now. And I'm sure there are people in this room right now, your mind has been corrupted by that false teaching. You need to say, let God be true and every man a liar. Look at what the Bible says here about this, okay? Verse 5. I will therefore, because of these deniers, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Remember that in the Red Sea. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So those angels that fell from heaven with Lucifer and they kept not their first estate, they left the habitation they were supposed to have, God is holding them in chains in darkness until the judgment of that great day. Verse 7, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, now look, and going after strange flesh. Going after strange flesh. That is men after men, women after men, women. God judged that. Going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. The vengeance of eternal fire. Verse 8. Likewise, also, these sincere 
What's that next word? You understand that our culture has gotten to where when you call something filthy, you just think you're better than me. Well, I am on that one. Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. That's your, that's your fleshly passions, acting like animals. We have police officers here that deal with these brute beasts, these animals, people living like absolute animals. And our culture is degenerating and devolving and falling apart to where the entire culture will be brute beasts. And people want the church to behave that way. We're not going to do it, folks. And look at what it says. Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. So what's th- this are all people that, that went against God and God destroyed them. Look at what it says in verse 12. These are spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Look, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness. For how long? The reality of eternity. Look at Second Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were false... Verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. This is sad right here. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. We're called radicals. We're called fundamentalists. We're called bigots, right? The way of truth is evil spoken of. And through covetousness, that is, they just want stuff. Shall they with feigned words, fake news, make merchandise of you? whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person. So Noah, the world was flooded. He saved him. That number eight is the number of new beginnings. The eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the what? The ungodly. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample to those that after should live ungodly. 
and delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be what? Punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. That idea of despising government is not that you despise the federal government. It's that you will not be told what to do and despise government. Look at what it says. Presumptuous are they, self-willed, and they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural, brute beasts... Doesn't this seem like the same person that wrote Jude is writing this? Isn't that interesting? It is. It's the Holy Spirit of God. But these, as natural, brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Does any of this seem like our culture, what we're looking at right now? They riot in the daytime. Spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. Now look at how the Bible describes them. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved for how long? Forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. Okay, so young people, real important that you get this. Have you heard the truth since you've been raised in a Christian home? Have you heard the truth? This is talking about you. The rest of us, how many of you have heard the truth? Would you raise your hands? You've heard it. Look at what the Bible says. They were clean. How does it say? Um... Verse 18, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. So you were clean escaped from that, but they're going to try and draw you back in. Look at how the Bible describes it. Please, overflow. Look at the text. Verse 19, While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants, they're slaves of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. 
Verse 21. This is an amazing thing. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Look at the way they're described. But it has happened unto them according to the the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. So here's what happens, young people. You're raised in a godly home and in a godly environment. You're raised in a Christian church. You're raised in a place that shows you what, what, what behavior is supposed to be. But here's the problem. That right behavior doesn't save you. You can talk the talk and you can walk the walk, but if you don't have Christ in your heart, if you've not placed your faith and trust in Him alone, then one day that siren call of the world is going to say, Hey, hey, those preachers that are telling you to cover up your body, they're just trying to bind you. Those preachers that are telling you to keep yourself for your husband, to keep yourself for your wife, they're just keeping you in bondage. Come, we're going to give you liberty. And what happens is you become slaves to the flesh. You become slaves to the world, slaves to sin, slaves to debauchery. And the thing that you kids can't comprehend, and I'm not, I'm not being condescending, I'm glad you can't comprehend it because you're simple of evil. You can't even imagine how bad the world is. It might look alluring and sparkling, but these are the most wicked, satanic, evil, destructive, awful, heinous, nefarious people in the world. They hate God. They hate all that's good. They hate all that's righteousness. And listen, when you die, where will you be? That behavior won't save you. That behavior won't condemn you. But if you walk away from the truth, it's going to be better that you never ever heard it because you're required. Now that you've heard it, you're responsible for it. There's some adults in here and you know the truth. You've heard the truth. You've sat under the truth. But that siren call of the world is wooing you away from your wife, is wooing you away from your husband, is wooing you away from righteousness and the service of the Lord. And it will lead to your devastation devastation and destruction. It will destroy you. Do you know that a saved person that behaves that way, it will destroy your body. It'll destroy your family. It'll destroy your children. It'll destroy those around you in the community that know that you're a believer. It will destroy them. Yeah, you'll get to go to heaven. You'll get to go to heaven. But what will you leave behind? You might be here and have been in church for 40 years and you're not saved. Coming to church for 40 years will not save you. Nature of man. The nature of God 
and the reality of eternity. The Bible describes these false teachers and those that follow them, that they are, they are reserved in the blackness of darkness forever. They're also reserved in torment. They're reserved in fire. They say, how can it be blackness and fire at the same time? God can do that. The Bible also describes them as falling. It's the bottomless pit. It is horrible. Horrible. What happens when you leave this world and all you can think of is, I'm lost, I'm lost, I'm lost, I'm lost, I'm lost forever and ever and ever and ever and through all eternity, lost, lost, lost with never any hope. Never any forgiveness. Never any redemption. Never any joy. Lost forever. Go ahead and laugh. Go ahead and smirk. You won't be smirking in eternity. Lost forever. There's only two destinations. Heaven and hell. And it's real. It's real. Are you saved today? Have you made peace with God? Because none of us are promised another day. What did Job say? Man that is born of woman, his days are few, full of trouble. Man dieth and wasteth away. But then where is he? Where is he? Where are you going to be? You know the kind of preaching that I'm doing this morning? Because it's effective, the world mocks it. If they show a preacher preaching the way that I have this morning, the, the next thing he'll be is a murderer or an adulterer or a child molester. Why? Because the Bible says that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them which believe. The foolishness of preaching. How are we to preach? The Bible says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet and tell my people their transgressions. Jesus Christ, in the day of the feast, that holy day, He stood in the temple and cried, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. People scream about everything today. But this concept of eternity, of eternal salvation or eternal damnation, man, that's a little crazy. And as it is appointed in a man once to die, and after this the judgment, nature of man, soul, our spirit, soul, and body, the nature of God, He inhabiteth eternity. The reality of eternity. We're all going to be in eternity, either in a place of torment or in a place of reward. Where are you going to be? Thank you, Lord, so much for Your Word. 
It's always such a humbling thing to preach this subject.